0: this jet's toy hut. I like the selection of Star Wars toys you've got, but I've ordered from online sellers before and it must have been packed by Ugnaughts because everything came shattered into tiny fragments. The great
1: exalted toy hut wishes to inform you that your orders will be shipped out
0: hand-packed. Hand-packed by Ugnaughts? Oh, Chubahatama, booboo.
1: Oh my, Toy Hut never just tosses a collectible to a shipping box. All orders are packed secure using packing peanuts, bubble wrap, air pillows, or packaging paper. Better even than being frozen in carbonite.
0: What if I order something shaped like, say, a TIE Fighter? Boshudah. Toy Hut has the best zero movement packing and shipping online, and they have seven sizes of custom toilet boxes
1: and never pack a collectible loose. Furthermore, the mighty Toy Hut wishes to warn you that no galaxy is too far, far away for their smugglers to get to.
0: I heard I can get a free vinyl sticker if I order something over 25 Republic credits. What if I order something for 23? Can I still have the sticker? The
1: magnanimous Toy Hut warns you not to push your luck. (laughs) ToyHut.com All too easy. To delete important evidence, press
2: 9. Beep. I'm Kevin Leeson. When I'm in Russia, I avoid open windows. I'm Stephen Schwartz.
0: Hey, it's the Rwanda Morning Zoo. Caller number 9 is going to get a six-pack of machetes. I'm Joe Fulgham. In
3: keeping with Caustic Soda's policy of bringing you the latest in blood and guts, you are going to hear another first, an attempted episode on journalism. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda. Bam!
1: Journalism.
3: Journalism, what kind of a topic is that for Caustic Soda?
1: Well, here's the thing. It doesn't sound like much of a topic, but we're going to talk about bad journalists. Okay. And bad things that have happened to good journalists. Oh, and, neutral journalists are right out. Yeah. In researching this episode, it became abundantly clear that there are a lot of journalists that are that are getting killed in, in the course of, of duty, yep. in the course of their job. And there are a, uh, a lot of journalists who do plagiarism and get fired. Okay um but uh, which is the lesser of two evils in that yeah. situation? <laughs> uh certainly there's more than enough of these examples to go around but okay. i tried to be selective and pick the ones that were the most caustic? most caustic okay, that i could find good. the depths that i had to plumb to find the really great stuff was it was not very far down uh we do have a guest in uh in studio with us today uh steven schwartz Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Hello, Stephen. Hi. What are your bona fides?
2: My bona fides? I have a bachelor's in journalism from New York University, Mm. a master's in public policy and media from Harvard University. Whoa. I worked for CNN, left them, worked for Sky News in Europe, went to the BBC, and now I'm a contract news analyst and senior producer.
3: So we should all just leave. Uh, No. (laughs) And you can... (laughs) Oh, does he uh, do jokes too? No, it's just my
2: (laughs) liver has lasted longer than other guys. That's the only reason why. okay. Uh
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Word origin, journal, uh, mid-14th century book of church services from Anglo-French journal, meaning a day, or from Old French journal, daytime day's work. Uh, And the word- Oh, de jour, I, I see. Yeah. Jour, now. The word daily from Latin, diurnalis, meaning book for inventories and daily accounts. That's from the late fifteenth century.
0: Oh, so so diurnal. Yeah, became journal. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. But what's the soup to journal? <laughs> uh, justice. Pope. Pope. Mm-hmm. Pope. Uh, phobia. There's euphobia, fear of hearing good news. Okay. Papyrophobia, fear of paper.
3: Sure. So you know those are that's that's out there. There's no more paper in journalism.
1: Uh, I got a pop quiz for everybody. Why don't we start off with uh, how much do you guys know about? Being a journalist in the world today, oh, <laughs> precious little, yeah, almost nothing. <laughs> All right, I got the most dangerous countries to be a reporter since 1992. Ooh. Oh, is this multiple choice? We could make it multiple choice. Whatever's easier for me.
0: Uh, how, how many? How many countries are on the list? There are because if I
3: have to choose one country, I in, the top five. Okay. top five.
0: Should we just start guessing if whether yeah. or not they're in the so top now, five? These are. It. These are now there are a lot of different a country
1: there so are I'm a, already losing there are a lot of different lists because uh, a number of these organizations that make these lists They put different numbers under these categories. So these are motive-confirmed killings. Motive-confirmed? What does that mean? These are murders in reprisal for work or was killed while completing a dangerous assignment, such as reporting in a combat situation.
0: So not just happened to be there and got killed, but was killed because they were a journalist and because of their work. Yes. So
1: this is a reprisal as well. Like they could have been in their office and got gunned down. Right. Uh, but it was as a result of them being an expose about a politician or
2: something about a criminal organization or something like that. Targeted killing, asking questions in the wrong places. uh, Just being a journalist, just wearing press on your flak jacket. What do
1: you think is the number one deadliest nation to be a reporter in since
0: 1992? Syria. Syria is currently the most dangerous. Would it be Lebanon? Uh, Iraq. Oh. Iraq. Oh, yeah. Since 1992, we've had three
1: Iraq wars. Right, the wars. So uh, 151 motive-confirmed killings in Iraq since 1992. Uh, Number two, has 72 killings, so a precipitous drop. Any idea what country that is?
3: Did I already say it?
1: No. Uh, I'm keeping my mouth shut. uh, Do you know the answer, Stephen? I have an idea. It could be Russia. It is not
3: Russia. No, it's
2: not Russia. It's The Philippines. Oh, that makes sense. Why? What's happening in the Philippines? That's where Al-Qaeda got its real foothold in the beginning was the Philippines. Really? There is a large uh, fundamentalist extremist Muslim population in the Philippines. They're trying to push the Christian Philippines out. And also
0: a large amount of very poor people because they were under the, the heel of some pretty terrible government for quite some time.
2: Which is a perfect breeding ground for that extremism. Right. And if you're a Western journalist, you don't venture too far outside of the uh, major cities, okay, without risk of being
1: kidnapped killed. or shot or killed, killed. or whatever. Uh, Russia is in the top five. Oh wow! Uh, so uh, we've got th- spots three, four, five left. Where do you think Russia falls? Four. I was gonna.
0: I was gonna say four. I'll say five now.
1: All right. It was four. It okay. was four. Uh, I was gonna be right. <laughs> Algeria is third at sixty. Oh wow! Uh, Russia is fourth at fifty-three, and Colombia rounds out the top five with forty-three. So, so that's a lot of drug-related murders on that one, I am imagining.
0: Wow, that's so that's averaging over fifty each. Like we're oh, looking at yeah. how how many? Well, even ignoring the top one, so yeah, oh, hundreds yeah. hundreds of deaths.
1: Well, since nineteen ninety-two, according to uh, one, there there are numerous online databases. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Committee for Protecting Journalists. There is... Um, uh, reporters and borders. Reporters. Uh, uh, what was it? Reporters Without Borders. Reporters Without Borders. Like there's, new, And they all keep different lists. and They all right. are different subcategories or whatever. But it, it basically clocks in at about between 950 and 1,000 journalists killed between 1992 and
2: today. And these are just deaths. These don't talk about severe beatings, right. Right. maimings. Yeah, assaults. More. Disappearances where there's no body to prove a death. That's right. Exactly.
1: Uh, there's presumed uh, the, the presumed dead list is a separate list altogether. So uh, you know what? For the amount of money that journalists get paid, it just seems like
2: it must be a labor of love. <laughs> it's kind of... It, it is a labor of love, actually. Uh, there's no, <laughs> only other reason to go into it. I mean, you could work locally at a local TV station, you're right? Not
1: Wait abducted. a minute. You're not you're not in danger of being murdered if you're working at like KCPQ, you know, downtown Seattle or whatever.
2: Well, probably not as severe as if you're, uh, you know, working in Chechnya.
1: Yeah, that's probably, uh, you've got your biggest chance uh, at, at, you know, the local Seattle station is when they bring in that bear to, like, uh, you know, do the fluff piece and it mauls you.
3: I'd be worried about the space needle dropping on me. (laughs)
1: Do you have that
2: problem when you go to Seattle? It's a fear. (laughs) Try getting life insurance. That's all I got to say in this field. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's a real treat. Actuaries hate us.
1: Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, your your premiums must be
2: insane. Uh, They're about ninety five to one hundred and ten percent more than the average person. Huh? Maybe that equal to a coal miner? Oh, wow! Huh? Journalists and coal miners. Look at that.
1: Two of the most dangerous
2: jobs in the world.
1: (laughs) There's something in journalism uh, that's called missing white woman syndrome, which is kind uh, of white woman syndrome.
2: Yeah,
3: is this like chronic fatigue syndrome kind of a thing? Well, oh, the parents. Can I get Missing White Woman
1: Syndrome? <laughs> you might have suffered from it. Okay. You may have, have seen it, you know, exhibited. All right, tell me more. Uh, it's the disproportionate degree of coverage in television, radio, newspaper, and magazine reporting of an adversity, most often a missing person case involving a young, white, upper middle class, frequently blonde woman or girl. Okay. The degree of coverage is usually contrasted with cases concerning a missing male or missing females of other ethnicities, socioeconomic classes, or physical attractiveness. Uh, of course, one of the big, uh, very well known stories about this is Natalie Holloway in Aruba, who just got an insane amount of press coverage, like round the clock press coverage on all the US outlets, mm-hmm. when in fact there were, uh, you know, I mean, there were dozens and dozens of missing girls like go missing of other ethnicities that you know got no airtime at all and there was some families in florida that were actually trying to get coverage for a latin girl like at the exact same time mm. and they could not get any
2: airtime so it's if like, it's blonde and it bleeds it leads <laughs> oh
1: that's a slight alteration to the saying that we all know and love yeah canada has a specific subcategory of this In Canada, according to the Law and Society Association, aboriginal women who go missing in Canada receive 27 times less news coverage than white women. I believe that. Surprise,
2: surprise. Uh,
1: Another uh, specific U.S. example, actually, is the media bias in the coverage of soldier Jessica Lynch versus that of the fellow soldiers in her own unit, Shoshana Johnson and Lori Piestawa. All three were ambushed in the exact same attack on March 23rd, 2003. Pia Stawa was killed while Lynch and Johnson were injured and taken prisoner. Lynch, a young blonde white woman, received far more media coverage than Johnson, a black woman and a single single mother. Right. And Pia Stawa was a Hopi Indian from an impoverished background, also a single mother. Mm. Because, I mean, you hear about that incident, and I remember, like, when somebody says, hey, Jessica Lynch, I'm... She's that soldier who got kidnapped, and they like sent the guys in to rescue her and got her out and blah, blah, blah. And uh, if somebody said to me, hey, what about Shoshana Johnson, the Shoshana Johnson case? I go. would shake my head and not know what the hell they're talking about. Who the hell's that? Yeah.
3: So what, so what happened to Shoshana?
1: Oh, I, I have no idea.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
1: we can't possibly look that up.
2: I mean, this is what happens in journalism when focus groups right, uh, and ratings control what story you tell.
1: Well, Lynch herself actually leveled some pretty harsh criticism at the coverage uh, that focused only on her. Uh, In congressional testimony before the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform, she's quoted as saying, uh, I'm still confused as to why they chose to lie and make me a legend when the real heroics of my fellow soldiers that day were, in fact, legendary. There you go. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, that just goes to show when you're an ethnic minority, you have to try way harder. (laughs) To, when you're abducted to ah, die in fame, yes, yeah,
2: you better be a really exceptional minority. <laughs> it's also looking for a backstory that you know, mom and pop in white picket fence America
4: yeah. can
2: uh, understand. You know, him. so it's like the Olympics coverage. You know, they always pick an athlete whose father had balls the size of you know cantaloupes who had to walk uphill and work every day. There's always these great stories behind it. So when they mm. when you're seeing the newsroom, like, well, what's this person's story? They're missing. There's a I, narrative. Dad was just a. Factory worker and mom worked at a Dunkin' Donuts. That's not a story. Oh, here's a girl whose father's a millionaire. And-, and she'd become an Olympic athlete. And yeah. Boom. All- there's the story we cover. Yeah.
0: Who knew that years of tutoring in her chosen Olympic sport would have led her to greatness?
1: <laughs> so, one of the uh, all time greats in journalism history, uh, William Randolph Hearst. Pretty- I've heard of this guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of a recognizable name. He wouldn't, he wouldn't suffer from white woman syndrome. I remember he had a sleigh. Oh.
3: Rosebud.
1: I think it was a sled. I was going a sleigh. Was it was, it?
3: No, it was a one-horse open sleigh. Okay. Probably on one of those. <laughs> uh, that was the untold story.
1: <laughs> Hearst was an American publisher who built the nation's largest newspaper chain and who met- whose methods profoundly influenced journalism. Hearst entered the publishing business in 1887 after taking control of the San Francisco Examiner from his father. Moving to New York, he acquired the New York Journal and engaged in a bitter circulation war with Joseph Pulitzer, who owned the New York World, which led to the creation of Yellow Journalism, sensationalized stories of dubious veracity. Why do they call it Yellow Journalism? Well, the reason is it's actually uh, kind it's of funny. racist. Uh, well, it uh, there was... Uh, um, one of the things they did to increase circulation, Pulitzer did, was he pioneered color comic books in, uh, like, comic strips. Okay. And one of the characters was called the Yellow
3: Kid. I remember this. This is the kid who, this was kind of like the invention of of comics, really, in a sense. And uh, his shirt would have a different saying on it. it would, his shirt would be, like, his word bubble, mm-hmm. his word balloon.
1: One of the things that Hearst did when he started really going toe to toe with Pulitzer, he started hiring away his staff by offering them way more money to come work okay. for him. Okay, so he actually one of the one of the uh, people that he led away was the actual artist who did the Yellow Kid comic books. Okay, so the Yellow Kid comic books came over to Hearst paper. And Pulitzer wasn't allowed to get, uh, to let himself be bested by this upstart kid. No, no, no. So he hired another artist to continue to do the Yellow Kid strip in his. So there were two Yellow Kid strips now oh, in competing papers. Okay. All right. Uh, and so that sort of coined the phrase. Uh, some of the other reporters who worked for the, the not Hearst and Pulitzer papers called it yellow journalism as this feud kind of. Escalate.
3: So, what was the what was the bad journalism in this case? Were they just making up stories and?
1: Well, a, as Martin Lee and Norman Solomon noted in their 1990 book, Unreliable Sources, Oh, Hearst routinely invented, invented sensational stories, faked interviews, ran phony pictures, and distorted real events. Okay, yellow journalism, basically as it's now defined in today's day and age. Uh, Is anything that presents little or no legitimate, well-researched news and instead uses eye-catching headlines to sell more papers.
3: I've seen that. Or dog whistle term. Dog whistle terms?
2: Dog whistle terms. Terms that only a certain demographic will hear, uh, Fox (laughs) News use. Oh, there you go. Uh, Especially talking about President Obama, they'll mention him as a communist or a Muslim. They they won't say it outright, Mm -hmm. but they'll drop little keywords, and that's called dog whistle. Okay. Really? That their base understands. And it gets them all perked up, going, "Oh my right. god! Oh my oh, god! Okay. Oh my god!" And that's a modern form of yellow journalism, using these dog whistle terms to get your listener angry, Eng- and want engaged, and want to watch more.
1: I mean, this isn't uh, uh, this criticism of Hearst's methodology was actually happening in his own time as well. Like, it was other reporters at other papers were talking about yellow journalism and criticizing their techniques of, like, driving their readership up. in fact, Upton Sinclair wrote a book in 1919 called The Brass Check, A Study of American Journalism. And in it, he commented directly on Hearst's methodology, where he points out that uh, Hearst's employees were willing by deliberate and shameful lies made out of whole cloth to stir nations to enmity and drive them to murderous war. He's in the... um, uh, causing wars, the, causing wars by newspaper headlines. Yes, exactly. The uh, that's impossible. The Spanish American War in Cuba was uh, pretty much was kind of stoked by Hearst's inflammatory language. Oh, really? Hearst
2: controlled so much of the media that he could actually change policy because mm-hmm. it was one man's view controls that much media. Right. He can actually alter policy within a government, and I that's what happens in countries where you have all government controlled. Yeah, yeah, media. yeah.
1: China, for example, Uh, Sinclair also points out that Hearst newspaper lied remorselessly about radicals, excluded the word socialist from their columns, and obeyed a standing order in all Hearst offices that American socialism should never be mentioned favorably. As well, Hearst had the Universal News Bureau. Which rewrote the news of the London Morning Papers in the Hearst office in New York and fraudulently sent it out to American afternoon newspapers under the bylines of imaginary names of non-existent correspondents in London, Paris, Venice, Rome, and Berlin. Oh, really? So it, so he wouldn't actually have to pay to have correspondence.
3: And then he's changing the stories as well? Or he's just basically plagiarizing? No, he's plagiarizing just rewriting. He's right.
1: completely plagiarizing them. And that was right. the, sort of the standing order. Uh, amongst, because one of the big tactics he did to undermine Pulitzer was Pulitzer's paper sold for two cents. Hearst's paper sold for one cent. That's
0: half the price. Mm-hmm. Half the price. <laughs> what a bargain. Double I, the lies. I didn't know there was going <laughs> to... You only pay per truth. So, okay. Um, <laughs> you know.
1: Uh, Hearst was a leading Democrat who promoted William Jennings Bryan for president in both 1896 and 1900. He ran for mayor and governor of New York and even sought the presidential nomination, but he lost much of his personal prestige when outrage exploded in 1901 after columnist Ambrose Bierce and editor Arthur Brisbane published separate columns only months apart that suggested the assassination of William McKinley. When McKinley was actually shot on September 6, 1901, critics accused Hearst's yellow journalism of driving Leon Chogolsch to the deed, and his presidential aspirations were pretty much over for them.
0: Listen, it's one thing to lie to all of us, but when one of your one or two of your articles might actually make somebody kill somebody, that's a big
2: deal. Well let's let's also go back to history and say that back then the Democratic Party, was not the Democratic Party that you know today. Yeah, just like the Republican Party back then was not the Republican Party. They were actually switched. Yeah. The the Democratic Party back then was the party that started the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, wow. They gave up.
1: That's why the the
2: Democrats were so strong in the South. Right, and they switched, and the Republican Party now goes, we're going to take the South philosophy that the Democrats gave up, and that's why it's actually just kind of polarized. Switch.
1: Yeah, so I uh, Lincoln, who was a Republican, was all about the Emancipation Proclamation, hmm. and the Democrats were against it.
0: Did...
3: Abortions for some, miniature American flags for others.
0: <laughs> now, when did this happen? Was this an in, kind of an instant thing, or did, did they kind of merge and become identical, and then they went, oh, we'd better be different, and when they split, they kind of they went They never other way? became
2: identical. It was in the 50s that the Democratic Party decided they were going to change their hmm. philosophy from the Southern philosophy. They saw the, the civil rights movement growing. They heard the voice from the north. Okay. So they decided to actually start really seriously changing their philosophy then. And I, the Republicans were just trying to win votes, so right. they started
1: co-opting the old Democratic policies. So there was, you know, uh, it was. That they just was wanted sort of to be different. <laughs> the Democrats wanted to be different. But if you
2: then. look at Hearst, he was able to control. I mean, it's propaganda, really. Yeah. His, it was his own views, but the views of his friends and his cronies, and he was able to get policy change. And the country to go, like you said, the Spanish Civil, Civil war. war, based Spanish on... Spanish-American Mar- War. Spanish-American War, based on him flooding his news outlets with stories that would... That would inflame the public. Public. And yeah. force the representatives in Washington to go to war. Uh, did you want to talk about Nellie Bly? I will do it.
3: I have some information on Nellie Bly. This was a an American pioneer female journalist who in the early 20s she remains notable she remains notable for two feats a record breaking trip around the world in emulation of Jules Verne's character Phileas Fogg which we will not talk about <laughs> and an exposé in which she faked insanity to study a mental institution from within which we will talk about oh
1: yeah now this is actual investigative journalism it sounds like
3: yeah this is it seems kind of groundbreaking kind of a stuff this uh, this was c- called stunt journalism.
1: Back in the day? Back in that's the, the day, yeah.
3: Mm. She talked her way into the offices of Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper, The New York World, and took an undercover assignment for which she agreed to feign insanity to investigate reports of brutality and neglect at the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island in New York.
2: Or are they always called places like Black Blackwell Island. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's never called like Happy Unicorn Land. Yeah,
1: you know... They hadn't <laughs> quite gotten around to the whole like uh, you know words matter thing you know did de- 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 you know welcome to Depressionville. <laughs> After
3: a night of practicing deranged expressions in front of a mirror, she checked into a <laughs> working class boarding
1: house. <laughs> she practiced her deranged expressions. <laughs> I wonder helps. when she it decided. Helps. I wonder when she decided they were right. Like what did it take to like finally get her to conclude? Flinging
0: her own
2: eating her own poo, or flinging <laughs> it at the
0: walls. You never were a fan of the method, Kevin. <laughs>
1: She refused
3: to go to bed, telling the boarders that she was afraid of them and that they looked crazy. They soon decided that she was crazy and the next morning summoned the police. Taken to a courtroom, she pretended to have amnesia. The judge concluded that she had been drugged. She was then examined by several doctors who all declared her to be insane. Positively demented, said one. Well,
1: this is kind of ballsy on her part because she was kind of like, kind of taking a risk that they wouldn't sort of sniff her out, right? Yeah, like- uh, sure.
3: But, I mean, what's the worst-case scenario that's going to happen? Yeah. The worst-case scenario is kind of what she wants. Right,
1: okay. (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh,
3: I consider it a hopeless case. She needs to be put where someone will take care of her. The head of the insane pavilion at Bellevue Hospital pronounced her undoubtedly insane. Committed to the asylum, Bly experienced its conditions firsthand. The food consisted of gruel broth, spoiled beef, bread that was little more than dried dough, and dirty, undrinkable water. The dangerous patients were tied together with ropes. The patients were made to sit for much of each day on hard benches with scant protection from the cold. Waste was all around the eating places. Rats crawled around the hospital. The bath water was frigid and buckets of it were poured over patients' heads. You know, the usual stuff. The nurses were obnoxious and abusive, telling the patients to shut up and beating them if they did not. Speaking with her fellow patients, Bly was convinced that some were as sane as she was. On the effect of her experiences, she wrote, What accepting torture would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? Here is a class of women sent to be cured. I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action, which has proven their ability, to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up and make her sit from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. on straight back benches, Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months
1: would make her a mental and physical wreck. So how did she get out of there? Because... here's the problem with getting them to declare you insane right like you've got to unconvince them especially back then yeah Yeah. totally it's like uh, I'm not insane that's exactly what an insane person would say
3: (laughs) oh the catch 22 Uh
1: I'm a journalist I
2: mean yeah sure you are maybe (laughs) I'm 12
1: journalists I work (laughs) rule I know I know Pulitzer personally all right all right let's give her some lithium you
0: crazy people would say anything to get out of these deplorable conditions Pulitzer will invent a prize that that I I will win
3: one day. <laughs> After 10 days, Bly was released from the asylum at her newspaper's behest.
1: Oh, so should put the call in. Yeah. Let her go.
3: Her report, later published in a book form as 10 Days in a Madhouse, caused a sensation and brought her lasting fame. While embarrassed physicians and staff fumbled to explain how so many professionals had been fooled, a grand jury launched its own investigation into conditions at the asylum, invited inviting Bly to assist. So, Suffice to say, there's a bunch of changes that happened because of her... Uh,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, her well, you,
1: you would kind of hope, actually. Well, there weren't
2: major changes. I mean, there's still... If you look back in the early 80s, there was a report by 2020 where they went into a children's institution for oh, development okay. in New York and found that children living in their own feces and being beaten. Uh, Geraldo Rivera did that story. That was actually his breakthrough story. Good Lord. Re- Geraldo Rivera was actually a reporter He was actually a very good... Investigative journalist.
1: What and happened? <laughs> he got his He got his syndicated
2: TV show. He happened? did that safe thing in Chicago. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And oh, that was the end of his career. Oh, yeah. yeah the the vault. The vault. Uh, from Al, Capone's Al Capone's vault. vault. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching that. But yeah, he broke that story and brought that institution down and closed. closed. Oh, wow. Uh, but this was in the 80s. It was that bad. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd like to leap forward into the modern age.
3: Uh, Al Capone's Al
1: Capone's vault. Vault. Yeah, yeah. I have a case the case of Christine Chubbuck. Chubbuck. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know this one. Uh, on the morning of July 15th, 1974, Chubbuck confused coworkers by claiming she had to read a newscast on her program, Suncoast Digest, which was kind of just like a morning interview program. They would just lo- get local people to come in, and she would chat with them. So when she requested they bring in a news desk and so that she could read something directly to the camera, it was definitely not what they usually did. Right. right. That that morning's talk show guest waited uh, across the studio while she sat at the desk and her copy actually contained a speculative report of her impending suicide, wherein she conjectured she would be declared dead 11 hours later. Uh, During the first eight minutes of her program, Chubbuck covered three national news stories and then a local restaurant shooting from the day before. There was a film reel of the restaurant shooting that that jammed and wouldn't run. So Christine shrugged and said, in keeping with Channel 40's policy of bringing you the latest in blood and guts and in living color... You're going to see another first, an attempted suicide. At which point, she drew out a 38 revolver and shot herself behind her right ear. Christine fell forward violently, and the technical director faded slowly to black. Camera woman slowly, yeah. <laughs> if it bleeds, it leads. Well, <laughs> here's the thing: most of her coworkers thought it was a prank. Okay. Jean Reed later recalled she thought it'd been a prank, and it wasn't until she saw Chubbuck's body start to twitch that she realized it was genuine. The I guess station there was no blood. 38 uh,
2: probably wouldn't go right through it.
1: Yeah. Nope. yeah. Maybe snub-nosed. Uh, who knows? Yes. Uh, she had a lot of hair. She had a lot of hair,
3: too. Blood-colored hair.
1: The The station ran a standard public service tape and then a movie. Some television <laughs> viewers phoned 911, while others phoned the station to inquire if the shooting was fake. Chubbuck was taken to Sarasota Memorial Hospital and pronounced dead 14 hours later. Mm. Upon receiving the news, a WXLT staffer released the information to other stations using Chubbuck's own copy. Oh the script she, that she had written. She wrote the she wrote the story they she wanted them to release after, after her death. after her death. yeah, to announce mm-hmm. her death, she wrote her own copy. Well,
3: it's convenient that it all worked out the way she planned then. yeah. Uh,
1: when, when they started to sort of investigate it, they kind of came to the conclusion that uh, it was her uh, she had a particular focus on her lack of relationships throughout her her history. Uh, and it was a driving force behind her depression. Her mother later summarized it as her suicide was simply because her personal life was not enough. And she often lamented to her co-workers that her 30th birthday was approaching. And she was still a virgin who had never been more on more than two dates with any one man. Uh, apparently, she had an unrequited crush on one of her co-workers, George Peter Ryan. She baked him a cake for his birthday and sought his romantic attention, only to find out he was already involved with the sports reporter, Andrea Kirby. Oh, damn you, Andrea, you whore. The jocks taking men away from the nerds yet again. Christine Chubbuck's family got an injunction against WXLT, preventing them from ever releasing the tape of Christine's suicide.
0: Well, fair enough. Yeah. If it was me, if I was that station, I'd be like, you don't need an injunction. That would be uncool. Well, that's because you're a bad...
3: (laughs) Businessman. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. fair
0: enough.
1: You know, I mean, who knows what the people at WXLT would have done without that injunction? You don't have
2: any. Yeah, there's uh, a reason why there's a delay. It's not just for saying fuck.
1: Well, and they would have thrown out. Well, no, it actually went out live. Yeah. It went out live, but right. the uh, the tape was never released. So mm. uh, it is, uh, of course this this incident is the inspiration for the movie Network. Yeah. This is what uh, got uh, Padachevsky the idea to write about a newscaster who intends on committing suicide on camera.
0: Except he gave a uh, was it two week notice in two one, weeks one or week one notice. week? I am yeah. going to kill myself on yes. this. Yeah.
1: Around the same time, there was a group of Australian journalists who have now been dubbed the Balibo Five. Balibo mm-hmm. is that it, a place? It is. It's a uh, it's a place in Indonesia. Oh, it's it, East Timor to be precise, which of course has been annexed by Indonesia.
3: This isn't uh, like a um, competition to the Jackson
1: 5. <laughs> On the 16th of October, 1975, uh, during the Indonesian incursion into East Timor, the, uh, a group of five journalists were killed in the town of Balibo. In 2007, an Australian coroner ruled that they had been deliberately killed by Indonesian Special Forces soldiers. The official Indonesian version is that the men were killed by crossfire during the battle for the town. Right, But an eyewitness account describes seeing the five men before they were killed. At this point, Indonesian Army Captain Yunus Yosfaya and his team shot the journalists who were unarmed with their hands in the air. I saw them shoot. A lot of them were firing. They fired towards the white people.
3: Well, when they said crossfire is because one of the shooters was named Philip Cross.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or the crossfire was, in fact, two groups of Indonesian special forces Firing in opposite directions, right? At those guys, at those same purpose. people on purpose. Uh, allegations were also raised that the journalist bodies were in fact dressed post mortem into military uniforms, imposed with weapons ah. to make them appear like they were taking an active part in the fighting.
3: Naturally, uh,
1: the Australian coroner investigating held that sizes
3: were all wrong and the name tags were all <laughs> yeah. wrong, and there was yeah, like they, letters in the pockets, that and didn't they make weren't any sense. Indonesian.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there's
0: that too. I would never wear those pants with those shoes.
1: Yeah. Uh, in fact, the fifth Balibo victim locked himself in the bathroom, but was stabbed in the back with a knife when he emerged.
0: It was a crossfire stabbing. Yeah. Yeah. In the back. <laughs> in the back. Yeah. In the back. Because Well, was... they had
3: those guns that shot knives. <laughs> that, that we oh, talked about on the guns is, episode, I think. it's
1: true. I, I don't know if the Indonesians, I think that was more like a Russian spy thing. Roger East was a 50-year-old Australian Reuters journalist who endeavored to travel to East Timor to investigate the deaths of the Balibo Five uh, in on the 7th of December, 1975, so only about uh, six weeks or seven weeks after the incident. Uh, he was captured in Dili by the Indonesian military as he tried to sneak across the border and was executed by firing squad on the morning of the 8th of December with his body being disposed in the ocean. He is often referred to as the sixth member of the Balibo Five.
2: Right. Oh, well. hmm Like at the- Six
0: Beetle, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a little bit less of an accomplishment <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: than the six, or the Six Beetle was less of an accomplishment than being gunned down by the. No,
0: I'd much r- lesser two evils, I'd much rather be the Six Beetle <laughs> than the sixth member of the Balibo Five. Yeah. There's no doubt, no doubt in anybody's mind. Are you sure? Uh, Be known as almost being in one of the most famous rock bands in history or being shot by a firing squad and dumped in the ocean. Yeah, I'm going to go with the former. I bet you
1: Australian reporters, though, give the latter guy way more props. Okay.
2: Probably do. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, have you ever been killed in the line of duty? Many times oh, yeah. no, I've, I've, i mean I've been shot at multiple multiple times uh, uh, of course.
1: maliciously or just by accident like, sometimes we-
2: general fire you're in a war zone you're not there's hot action. I start off as a cameraman, so you're looking through the camera you're not seeing everything right you like, have no you're looking through a re- yeah yeah
1: a photographer or uh, like a um video, a video. Oh, video photographer
2: right uh, but after that you're in a war zone so there's gunfire, but I have been targeted hmm. Oh. You, you know what that doing- feel. <laughs> Uh, you get a sense of humor at one point. Uh, is this I like? A, is, is it like in Top Gun? I, I put a when smiley you're... face on my flight jacket like <laughs> it was just it was that. And they're like fourteen year old kids. This was Rwanda. They're not. Yeah. Th- they don't know how to shoot that gun. So is is it like in Top
1: Gun though? Do you almost you hear the ding 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 as they get like lock on you? Do you feel like no. you, you feel it train down. It's like or is it just it? You know, you're in
2: a zone. I mean, it, the adrenaline's going. So your idea is to you want to get the story, you want to get the shot, mm-hmm. but you also want to live. Right. And it's knowing that balance between get the fuck out. Right. And keep shooting. Right. Dancing that fine line. Yeah.
4: Hmm.
2: All right. What do you think was the closest you ever came? Uh, I had a piece of melicum from an exploded shell near me right through my hand. Oh. Is it embedded? It went right through. Like a pencil size? Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did it hurt? (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
3: Okay. I just wanted to check.
2: Well, funny that you should bring up Rwanda,
1: because I want to talk Ah. about uh, the Radio-Television Libre des Mille Collines. The Fox News of Rwanda. (laughs) What is that in English? It means Radio-Television of the Free Thousand Hills.
3: Three Thousand Hills? Free. Free Thousand.
1: It's probably Free Radio and Television of a Thousand Hills.
3: What are these Thousand Hills?
1: I think Rwanda... Is, think-
3: is it a dressing?
1: No, I think... <laughs> <laughs> Thousand Hills dressing. Genocide I think- <laughs> dressing. <laughs> I think one of the nicknames for Rwanda is Land of a Thousand Hills.
3: Okay.
0: Yes. I actually think that's true. You're,
1: you're correct, sir. All right. Oof, I knew something. This, uh, this was a radio station in Rwanda, which broadcast from July 8th, 1993 to July 31st, 1994. So a uh, relatively short-lived radio station. Uh, But it did play a significant role during the April-July 1994 Rwandan genocide. Tell me more about this genocide. Tell you more about the genocide or tell you more about their role in the genocide? Just give me
3: a little backstory about what happened. There were I, I don't know nothing.
1: Well, I, all I know is that there were Hutus and Tutsis and the Tutsis were getting... What the hell are you talking about? Those are the, the different peoples in Rwanda. Okay. Maybe you can enlighten yeah, us, Stephen.
2: What happened was they were a Dutch colony. So the Dutch came in in their lovely way because they tended to crap on every colony they have ever been to in Africa, measured the heads of the populace and came up with two groups of people, Hutus and Tutsis. From the size of their heads? Size of their heads, body, color, these, these coloration. Are the, these are the Dutch names for them, obviously? Uh, No, these were- the, They're tribal names. Tribal names. Oh, okay. So they, they right. lumped, the Dutch lumped them these two. one were considered a higher caste than the other. Right, naturally. Naturally, creating internal strife, which eventually led to this lovely genocide. Right, thank, hundreds of years later. Thank you, later, Dutch. Yeah,
1: that gave us sort of a uh, ticking time bomb. Yeah. Who, who was genociding who? Uh, the Hutus were genociding the Tutsis. Okay. And the, this radio station was a uh, Hutu sympathetic station. Uh, it was, listened to, it was listened, widely listened to by the general population and projected racist propaganda against Tutsis. It's widely regarded as having played a crucial role in creating the atmosphere of charged racial hostility that allowed the genocide to occur. And a Harvard University researcher did a study that estimated approximately 9.7% of the genocidal violence was due directly to the broadcasts.
2: So 90,000 people, they were responsible for killing alone just in a radio station. Uh,
1: how much... What was their... Um, their bandwidth? <laughs> their their their,
3: throw? their range. Or the transmitter.
1: I don't know. There was a, a actual talk at one point of the United States military jamming their broadcast, but this action was never undertaken because the cost of the operation and the legal implications of interfering with Rwanda's sovereignty uh, outweighed the, um, the... The human life. The human life. Yeah.
2: yeah. And they would actively tell people where groups were going right. to go kill. I mean, right, the be, be going, it's the drive time hour. And by the way, there's 40 people down the street on blah, 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 do you want to slaughter? Well, a machete? the UN observers, when they would see uh, Tutsi
1: refugees fleeing from like a particularly hot zone or whatever, they would almost always have portable radios planned to their ears to hear if they were getting ratted out by the radio station. Oh, so they could hear if they would run with radios. Because go in the other direction. They'd go. Oh, they just told. They told them where we're going. So now we got to go somewhere else.
2: It's like a human target traffic report, right?
0: Yeah. Bro. And like as you mentioned, this this whole separation into two different populations was just completely arbitrary. Like by
2: the lovely racist Dutch. <laughs> like many
0: of these people, when it happened, were probably completely related. Yeah. it's just that one happened to have a bigger head or something like that. <laughs>
1: Uh, there's a, uh, group of refugees out on the number nine. Uh, you can, uh, you can they got ox carts and walking on foot. There should be no problem to pick up, uh, anybody who's got two wheels should be able to catch up to them in a heartbeat.
0: Thanks for that, Dave. Now over to Cecilia with the weather. The Genocide Report. Well,
1: no, sports. Oh, we're uh, kicking around tootsie heads at to the soccer stadium today. Uh, anybody who wants to, it's a, uh, it's a group game, so anybody who wants to get in on it can come on down and kick around some heads.
0: It's going to be raining blood down in the valley.
1: Oh, and we've got sport rape uh, out <laughs> in the countryside today. <clears throat>
0: The reason that the station became
1: so popular was because it they had
2: some great music and pro- pro- promotions. They'd give away t-shirts and
1: iPods. They frequently played contemporary musical selections unlike the state radio and quickly developed a faithful audience among the young Rwandans.
0: I just want to know if they had one of those t-shirt cannons but modified it to kill the people that it hit. Oh, <laughs> oh nice. nice. Put so a little could...
2: grenade inside the rolled up t-shirt? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. And of goes- course, good morning Rwanda. <laughs>
1: Uh, hateful rhetoric was placed alongside the sophisticated use of humor and popular Zairean music, and they frequently referred to Tootsies as cockroaches. For example, "You Tootsies are cockroaches. We will kill all of
2: you." Pretty simple to the point. It's a good catchphrase, yeah. though. Yeah. You got to admit that. Look great I'll on the billboard.
1: You, I was about to say. I mean, uh, that's a that's a it's it's pithy. So it's great on the billboard, right? The Zoo Crew, right? Yes. After Hutu President Haberamana's private plane was shot down on April 6, 1994, the uh, RTLM, that's what we'll be calling the station, joined the chorus of voices blaming Tutsi rebels and began calling for a final war to exterminate every last Tutsi. The code term they used was, let's cut down the tall trees. That was the phrase they used to, uh, 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 that was code for killing Tutsi. Now, who, how, how, must he, been, how are you
3: supposed to know the code?
2: Well, I guess or was, it, was just, it just obvious? If you have the right head size, you <laughs> automatically translate the code into let's okay. kill. Uh,
1: the, the music of Simon Bikindi was uh, frequently played. He's one of the more popular artists. And his two probably most famous songs were Beni Sabahinzi, meaning sons of the father of the farmers, and Nanga Abahutu, meaning I hate Hutus."
2: <laughs> That's on my playlist. Subtle. By the way, on my,
1: my favorite, subtle. My favorite part of this article was these songs were later interpreted to incite (laughs) hatred and genocide. Later? Later? (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, pretty much immediately. When the Tutsi-led RPF army won control of the country in July of 1994, RTLM took mobile equipment and fled to Zaire with Hutu refugees, and that is when they stopped broadcasting. Uh, On the 19th of August, 2003, at the tribunal in Arusha, life sentences were requested for RTLM leaders. They were charged with genocide, incitement to genocide, and crimes against humanity. Uh, And on 3rd of December 2003, the court found all three defendants guilty, sentenced two of them to life imprisonment, and one to 35 years. Uh, It was appealed. And in the appeal judgment uh, issued in 2007, it reduced the sentences of all three to 30 years, 32 years, and 35 years,
2: respectively. And they're forced to listen to I mean, this would be like CBC going on and saying, okay, we want you to kill all the hipsters.
1: Yeah. Okay, Uh i will be be okay with that. What's what's the code word? What's the code word? Cut
0: down the tallest Beardo in the forest. Okay, but now
1: what are you going to say that I'm going (laughs) to have a problem
0: with? Think of all the hobos (laughs) that would be accidentally killed, though, because they would get confused for hipsters.
1: You know by the oversized glasses.
2: And the fixie bike.
1: Yeah. Oh, and the the really, like, uh, well-manicured facial hair. I don't
0: know what hipsters you're hanging out with.
1: Uh, you've never seen the hipsters with the uh, the wax mustaches? Oh,
0: yeah. Like oh, the fancy mustaches, sure. Yeah. But the rest of the facial hair is just a mess. Yeah, no. But the must, you're right. The mustaches are beautiful.
2: Yeah. So are we now calling for the CBC to cause, call the slaughter? No. <laughs> Don't they get enough
1: (laughs) flack, those hipsters? Here, listen, Uh, nobody actually takes anything I say seriously, so we don't have to worry about any of this.
0: I don't even, who even cares? It's fun to make fun of hipsters, but wah, I did stupid shit when I was younger to get girls.
3: (laughs) Do me a favor and spell Tootsie for me.
1: T-U-T-S-I. Oh, okay. What You were thinking T-O-O-T-S-I-E? We
3: couldn't decide if it was going to make a tootsie a roll t- on? <laughs> joke or a candy joke or a Dustin Hoffman joke. How many deaths does it
0: get to the inside of a tootsie genocide pop?
3: <laughs> Nailed it.
1: Taken by holy warriors. He was told to leave attachment behind. He was expected to obey. He
0: did not listen.
3: Canadian artist Chris Woods presents his new series of epic paintings titled Sandstorm. Inspired by the events of the original Star Wars trilogy, Sandstorm steps into the black metal boots of cinema's most notorious villain and reveals how he felt. Mr. Woods needs your support in executing this amazing new series coming to the Reach Gallery Museum in Abbotsford, BC for the summer of 2013. Please visit indiegogo.com slash sandstorm for details. Even the Dark Lord himself might say this about the series.
2: Impressive. Most
3: impressive. Indiegogo.com slash sandstorm.
1: Uh, has anybody ever heard of a guy named Rupert Murdoch? Uh, oh, yeah.
3: I saw him lampooned on The Simpsons once.
1: Uh-huh. He's been lampooned on pretty much everything. He's uh, Satan. All the time. Ooh, the, the devil? He's the devil. <laughs> oh, We should have had, if we had you on in our demons episode. We could have talked more about that. Uh, the Economist describes Murdoch as the inventor of the modern tabloid. What's wrong with that? Uh, he increased sports <laughs> and scandal coverage in all of his papers and adopted eye-catching headlines kind of like a new age William Randolph Hearst
3: actually. Yeah.
0: When do we get our citizen Kane of this era?
3: <laughs> After Rupert, Rupert Murdoch. Unfortunately,
0: dies. it was the Simpsons.
3: And we'll find out that his rosebud is a dildo.
0: That's a good image, Roger Ailescock.
2: cock. Buzzy. <laughs> All right. Buzzy.
0: Uh, <laughs>
1: In 1968, Murdoch entered the UK newspaper market with his acquisition of the populist *News of the World*. Followed in 1969 with the purchase of the struggling daily broadsheet *The Sun*. Murdoch turned *The Sun* into a tabloid format, and on acquiring it, he told his editor, "I, w- oh, I'm going to do my Rupert Murdoch now. Oh. I want a away paper with lots of tits in it."
2: He's aus- well, okay. He's so do I.
1: Yeah. The
2: thing about yeah, him but is, we don't have
1: the power to actually make that happen.
2: The English love their tabloid newspapers. I mean, it's one of the few places in the world where people actually still read physical newspapers. Yeah. And he's partially the, responsible for that. Whether they're, it's good journalism or not.
1: Oh, I think we I can all agree
2: that it's, it's not, not good journalism. But, I mean, it's I not, mean, but it's people reading. Yeah, well, you know, yeah,
1: he's helping people
3: read. read you, know? It's, you know,
2: So he's a, it's he's like a champion 50, for literacy. Yeah, Like Harry Potter. I mean, got kids <laughs> reading. This is getting dumb adults reading. <laughs> That's like the reading rainbow for Scandal Sheep. Yeah. You know, and dumb adults are the majority
1: of adults. Who watch Fox? Uh, well, there's one specific instance, one specific Rupert Murdoch thing I would like to talk about. Okay. One uh, of the many? The, there, there's Again, there's there are a million things that we can talk about, especially regarding specifically. We could probably have a Rupert Murdoch episode.
3: Yeah, Pick the worst of the worst. Give me the worst of the worst, Kevin. Oh, I'll give you my favorite. I okay. don't know if it's
1: the worst of the worst. Who knows? He might have killed a hooker at one point or something like that. Uh, the News International phone hacking scandal. Yeah, Phone hacking. I I seem to have vague memories of this. This happened when? Uh, This happened in 2000. Well, it's been happening since the 1990s, but it became a scandal in 2011. Okay. Employees of the newspaper News of the World were accused of engaging in phone hacking, police bribery, and exercising improper influence in the pursuit of publishing stories. From the 1990s on, they employed a private investigator named Jonathan Rees. Who bought information from former and serving police officers, customs officers, VAT inspectors? That what's a, is what's a VAT. That's their GST. Oh, okay. That the tax inspectors, tax inspectors, bank employees, burglars, identity thieves would telephone inland revenue, banks, and phone companies on his behalf and deceive them into providing confidential information. Reese would then sell that information to News of the World, the Daily Mirror, the Sunday Mirror, and the Sunday Times. In fact, in News of the World alone paid Reese more than a hundred and fifty British hundred and fifty thousand British pounds a year.
2: Which is nothing compared to what he produced for them, really. He could have asked for more.
1: Yeah, and, and and he that was just one of the papers he was selling to. If they all sort of like paid in the same kind of ballpark, I mean the guy was making like six, seven hundred thousand pounds a year. You well, he's you're just
2: getting the truth out though. But you don't pay sources. You don't. I mean yeah. you grease a source with a drink at a bar, you talk to him. Tell her her ass isn't that big. <laughs> Stuff like that. You don't spy on people. So and what you're saying is, like is the if, if they
1: if they'd actually considered Reese an actual source of information, as opposed to that they because they were paying him to provide information, he about. was a source of a source, and
2: that's dangerous footing. Right. In that, my that, field, that, that it's crosses, really dangerous.
1: It crosses a journalistic ethical boundary, perhaps.
2: Huge.
1: Well, they crossed it. More than a couple of boundaries oh, yes. on this scandal. Reese, Reese's empire came down when he was suspected in the murder of his former partner, and the anti-corruption squad initiated a phone tap on Reese's phones to obtain evidence about the murder. Uh, what they discovered was that confidential information was being acquired illegally, uh, and uh, recorded telephone conversations revealed that Alex Marunchak of News of the World was a regular customer. The bugging operation ended when it was determined that Reese was planning on planting cocaine on a woman so that her husband, Reese's client, would win, is- would win custody
2: of their child. I wish someone would plant cocaine. Fuck,
1: <laughs> I was going to pay for it. Now, the whole point of planting cocaine is that they catch you yeah, before know, yeah. you get to enjoy the benefit of it. Uh, convicted on I have the. I've been evidence- doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You've just been planting it and uh, uh, not calling it in? Is that yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, he, yeah. Had he, had he had cocaine
0: on him, we know <laughs> it. Quick, do a
1: test on him. <laughs> Uh, Convicted on the evidence-planting charge, Reese served five years in prison, and upon release in 2005, he quickly resumed his investigative work for News of the World. Oh, he bounced back. At first... So when the police discovered this in 2005, they thought that it was just basically celebrities that were being tapped. So Sienna Miller, Hugh Grant, Steve Coogan, Sienna Miller, Hugh Grant, these guys, these people were all subject to this phone hacking, and so they kind of thought that they'd nipped it in the bud. What they didn't realize was that... um, Uh, that the News of the World had spread their phone hacking far and beyond just the uh, royal family and celebrities. Uh, It was first reported in The Guardian, a rival newspaper, It's also a fish wrapper, by the way, but that's okay. Uh, On the 4th of July, 2011, that police had found evidence suggesting the private investigator Glenn Mulcair had collected personal information about the family of a missing schoolgirl, Millie Dowler, following her disappearance in 2002. Journalists working for the News of the World had hired the private investigator to hack into Dollar's voicemail while she was still missing. It was alleged that they had deleted some messages, giving false hope to police into Dowler's family who thought that she might have deleted the messages herself and therefore might still be alive. What in fact had happened was they checked the messages and her system was set up that they would f- delete themselves after, after 72 hours once they'd been picked up. Oh. So they potentially destroyed valuable evidence about her abduction and her uh, murderer, Levi Belfield, who was convicted of Millie's murder and jailed for life in June 2011. Uh, he'd already been convicted of two murders and an attempted murder, which all took place after Millie's disappearance and the discovery of her body. So they tampered with a dead girl's voicemail, erasing all the messages on it. Right. Before
3: I would the police, feel bad if I did that. Before the police had if a chance to I didn't to get feel it. bad about hacking
2: into people's phones.
0: And planting evidence.
2: And it seem to me in that culture that nobody there's a bunch of people who knew what was going on and it took a long time for any kind of whistleblowing. Yeah. I mean, it's, everybody just kept their fucking mouth shut. So,
1: well, probably because so many of the other papers were also doing the same thing. News of the world oh, just implicit. News of the world just seems like they were the best at
2: Would you trust a news agency called News of the World? It just sounds bad.
1: So how how did this story break out then? Uh, It was really, it was the series of Guardian accusations, right? Oh, okay. Uh, By March 2010, the the newspaper News of the World had spent over two million pounds settling court cases with alleged victims of the phone hacking. Finally, when they did this series, it forced Murdoch to shut down the paper
2: after 168 years of publication. I mean, this is a real reflection. If you look back at Hearst and Pulitzer, this is kind of like Pulitzer coming, I got you, you fuck. Yeah. And doing a good investigative piece to expose Murdoch's like empire. Like
1: actual journalism to actual bring, journalism. bring down the non-journalism in the crowd. I mean, one of the other things they did in the phone hacking, the Daily Telegraph reported that uh, the phones of British soldiers killed in action in Iraq uh, were accessed by News of the World. Uh, personal details and phone numbers belonging to relations of dead service personnel were found in the files of investigator Glenn Mulcair. Uh, in response to the allegations, the Royal British Legion announced it would spend all ties with the News of the World and drop the camp, drop the newspaper as any campaign part.
0: Curiously enough, acting like a prick has negative repercussions. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, they, I mean
1: they they had a whole royal commission about it. They brought Rupert Murdoch in to testify about it. Yeah, uh, there were three or four people at the paper ended up going to jail over it. Uh, for like fraud and hacking and the whole nine yards. I think and, it was his
2: nephew or one of his relatives who ran the paper that yeah. was also implicated and didn't roll over on his father or his uncle.
1: Definitely uh, heads rolled in a metaphor.
2: But it was really close to Murdoch. I mean, this was family closeness. So that that he got away with it yeah. was just because people were loyal to him and didn't no, roll I mean, on him. One of the editors of the paper went to jail. Yeah. Like
1: the top guy at the paper was, you know, stick handling the whole thing, and they proved
2: it. The thing is, my industry doesn't consider those kind of rags journalism. Yeah. They're tabloids. Yeah. It's not journalism. You know, it's it's far from... It's
1: a, it's a kind
2: of journalism, isn't it? They tell stories in paper format. Um, I I wouldn't consider... I mean, I went to school for a long time, and I really value my career, and I hold it close to me, just like I right. don't like social media types calling themselves citizen- journalists because i wouldn't go to a citizen dentist Uh, (laughs) that's a good point i like that
1: i wouldn't go for a citizen rectal exam yeah citizen well citizen
2: (laughs) colonoscopy
0: well you know it might be more enjoyable (laughs) that way but what about russia do they have journalists (laughs) they do but they're scared shitless
1: yeah and their numbers are declining quite rapidly evidently
2: Uh uh-oh Bad, bad diet? I'm
1: sure Russia sounds like a...
2: Bear Bear attacks? Sounds like a a lovely country. Not enough topless pictures of Putin. You're going to the gulag.
1: In the September 2009 report from the Committee to Protect Journalists, or the CPJ, it repeated its conclusion that Russia was one of the deadliest countries in the world for journalists and added that it remains amongst the worst at solving their murders. I mean, we pointed out at the top of the show that uh, they are number four in the world since 1992 for the deaths of journalists. The report is called The Anatomy of Injustice, and it follows the accounts of 17 deaths of journalists in Russia since 2000 who died or were killed because of the work they were doing. And In only one of the 17 cases has there been even a partially successful prosecution. The most up-to-date information is that 30% of these uh, murders of Russian journalists uh, have resulted in prosecutions. So that seems like a low number, especially because... You know, uh, regular prosecutions get like a 90% conviction rate in Russia. Hmm. So it's like a third.
2: I was sent there, and I lived there in Moscow for a year. And when we arrived, they already got the pre-warning from other guys when we arrived. There were local mafiosos waiting for us at the airport, basically saying, you pay us protection, we'll protect you from the government. We'll get you in an apartment that's ours, right? that's protected. And we paid them because we were fearful of the Russian government right. as yeah. journalists.
1: The, well, so the, we are willing to pay thugs. Uh, yeah, the uh, the Russian security service under Putin is now called the FSB. Sounds a little too similar to KGB it, it's for the, my liking. It's just a
2: rebranding. It's like New Coke. <laughs> <laughs> so what
3: were you over to over there to report on?
2: Uh, just working the bureau there. But we were, it was during the height of the, che- the Chechen problem. Right. So we were doing some positive stories on mm, the Chechen struggle. And we shot video at one point. Russian soldiers drunk in a T eighty tank, like literally drunk, yeah, shooting I, Chechens, drunk and like with a the big of, turret or the machine guns with machine guns and the big turret, like hillbillies. Oh wow, oh, nice. uh, just Yee-haw! shooting possum. I mean, it, and or whatever we, the Russian. We were afraid. We we actually got thrown out, and I lost my press credentials. Uh, they, the Russian government, took our tapes. Right, the mafia didn't protect you <laughs> at that point. They couldn't. Yeah, you went too we, far. We went too far. Well, he's not dead. Not dead. So they yeah. did something. Uh, all right. Also, I was a foreign journalist, and you're a little safer there as a foreign journalist than you are. As a... No, I guess.
1: So uh, under Putin, he took power in 2000. And in the first year, 17 journalists were killed and 15 of them were murdered. Uh, the second year, uh, 12 were killed and 11 of them were murdered. Oh, it's going down. Uh, total numbers going down, but the percentage of murders, left murders left were alive. going up. up. Yeah. Uh, 2002, this is the doozy. 23 dead journalists, 20 murdered. Wow.
2: They tend to ramp up right around election time. <laughs> uh,
1: 2004, 12 dead. Uh, uh, 2003, 11 dead, 11 murdered. So 100% of journalist deaths were attributed to murder. Uh, 12 in 2004, 10 murders. 5 in 2005, 4 murders. 13 of 13, 3 of 3, 5 of 5, 6 of 6. Wow. Okay. So uh, a 200 total deaths uh, since 1993 of Russian journalists, 165 of the murders. That's a high percentage.
0: It's just a high amount of murders.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of murder going on in Russia. Yeah. Get the impression. It's,
0: it's kind
2: of the it's wild, a wild, wild West. west yeah, yeah. With r- lots of Ugg boots. <laughs> Stylish. Yeah.
1: Uh, these numbers do not count those who have gone missing, which is 14 persons, those who died in an accident or unconfirmed "quote unquote"
3: accident,
2: accidents. yeah,
1: uh, twenty-eight persons. Uh, the, the anything that in which the nature has not been satisfactorily established, and journalists killed in work-related accidents, thirty-seven. So uh, yeah, this is a um, this is a real problem.
2: just to leave the industry altogether.
1: Yeah, I mean this is. Uh, it seems that there's a lot of journalists now who, because you know, they report on human rights abuses and corruption, whatever, and then the, these journalists are murdered, and then there are never any actual successful prosecutions. Like Nobody is like, brought to justice for either their murder, which is only a you know, 30% prosecution rate, successful prosecution rate, and the people that are being reported on for committing the corruption and the influence peddling and all that stuff in the first place, they are never brought to trial. Like mm-hmm. they never see the inside of a jail.
2: And Pussy Riot gets sentenced, yeah, for singing in a church.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, it's 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 pretty crazy to be a Russian journalist. And I've got some specific cases that I like to talk about that seemed a little more caustic than others.
3: Pussy Riot. <clears throat> Just wanted to say that
1: <laughs> it is fun to say. It's isn't a great it? band name. Yeah. Uh, one of the most famous cases of uh homicide of a Russian journalist is Anna Politkovskaya who worked for a paper called Novaya Gazeta, which I'm guessing means New Gazette or Daily Gazette. Uh, Since 2000, three other members of that paper's staff has also been murdered. So one paper has had four journalists murdered in the last 12 years.
3: And they only had a staff of four.
1: I wonder what their (laughs) golden
3: parachute is.
2: You know, if you make it five years, we'll... Oh, yeah.
1: Igor Domnikov was beaten to death in 2000. Yuri... Shekhotekin was poisoned in 2003. Uh, Anna Politkovskaya was shot to death in 2006. And Anastasia Babarova was shot dead in 2009. Anna Politkovskaya was an author and human rights activist known for her opposition to the Chechen conflict and the president of Russia, Putin. She wrote a book called Putin's Russia, uh, in which she accused the Russian Federal Security Service, SFB, FSB, as stifling all civil liberties in order to establish a Soviet-style dictatorship. In 2001, Politkovskaya fled to Vienna following email threats from a police officer that she'd accused of atrocities against civilians in Chechnya. Uh, Corporal Sergei Le Pen was uh, arrested and charged in 2002, but the case against him was closed in the following year. In 2005, Le Pen was uh, convicted and jailed for the torture and disappearance of a Chechen civilian. Uh, in a case exposed by Politkovskaya in her article article, Disappearing People. Uh, While flying south in September 2004 to help negotiate with those who would taken over a 1,000 hostages in a school, Politkovskaya fell violently ill and lost consciousness after drinking a cup of tea. Uh, She'd reportedly been poisoned, and some accused the former Soviet secret police poison facility.
2: They're, they have a poison facility. They're big on poisoning people. They have a history. Uh, the gentleman who was given the radioactive poisoning—yeah, we about that yeah, Ukrainian, Ukrainian gentleman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's a big mo for them. I think they'd switch it around.
1: Yeah, I guess they, what, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right?
2: I think
0: they might want to send a message. Like it's, you know, it's not just somebody coming along and accident like randomly shooting somebody in a in a theft. It's like no, you're dead, and everybody else better watch out or they'll be dead too. Sending well, me a message. Well, yeah. journalists
2: know there. I mean. Pretty much, it's you, you watch yourself, right? Watch you back, like, and you this, hire a taster. This attempted
1: yeah. at poisoning happened in two thousand and four, and I just want to point out her coworker Yuri was poisoned in two thousand and three. So they're kind of like, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, right? I If, if they call them goose and ganders over there, I don't know. Plus, poisoning can be fun. <clears throat> you gotta uh, try out some new things. On the 7th of October 2006, Politkovskaya was found dead in the lift of her block of flats in central Moscow. She had been shot twice in the chest, once in the shoulder, and once in the head at point blank range.
3: Oh, so the poisoning didn't take her? The
1: poisoning did not take her. No. No, that was that just made her sick like Joe is today.
2: Yeah. And probably pissed Putin off really badly.
1: Mm-hmm. That,
2: that, she, that, that she didn't, didn't die? Work? That she didn't die yet the first
1: time. Uh, three men were charged with directly aiding Polakovsky's killer, who was allegedly the brother of two of the other suspects. There was insufficient evidence to charge the fourth man, an FSB colonel, with the murder, although he was suspecting of the leading role in its organization. Uh, on the fifth of September, uh, on the fifth of December two thousand eight, Sergei Sokolov, uh, the senior editor of Novaya Gazeta, testified in court that he would received information from a uh, um, from a source he would not name that. Defendant Jabrail Makmudov was an agent of the FSB, and in February two thousand nine, all three men were acquitted of her murder. So nobody
2: went to jail for it. You can see why. I mean, I'm troubled by the P- Putin administration because of this. Uh, supposedly, they're a democracy now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they have great trade status with the U.S. and Canada. And when they're killing journalists, they're stifling the press. Mm-hmm. I mean. And no one is calling him out to be the dictator he is. I mean, no, like they,
1: don't even posit, they don't even posit another theory. Like there's never, They don't even make a pretense like, no. oh, this was a robbery, or this was a, a, a you know, a uh, she, somebody had a grudge against her personally, or, you know, she was sleeping with somebody's husband. Or, like, there's mm-hmm. no pretense of any other motive. Like, they all just kind of like, uh, yeah, it was probably because of what she
2: was writing. I mean, and people around the world calling. are calling for Obama's head for drone attacking. Suspected terrorists around the world, but they can kill journalists and no one's calling for the head of Putin. And you're only getting a 30% conviction.
3: Yeah. Maybe if the journalists were a little more blonde.
1: I don't know. Yeah, probably a little more blonde. I've got uh, a uh, woman, another reporter named Olga Kotovskaya, very similar to the previous woman's name. Uh, she plunged to her death from a 14 story window in Kaliningrad in November of oh, 2011 oh she was defenestrated oopsie <laughs> she was one of my favorite words of all time defenestration you could actually in Budapest you can go on a defenestration tour it's kind of really? I
3: do not I do not want to go on that tour <laughs> <laughs> unless there is a big airbag at the bottom of the tour
1: or you're wearing a parachute or yeah. something right uh, yeah the, I guess in Budapest defenestration for like a couple hundred years was the favorite way of getting rid of your political opponents right wow, wow. Well, the one of the castle, the big castle that that uh, guarded the river entrance, actually uh, one of the windows, like kind of goes like a sheer drop, like a thousand feet or something. Well, right? it's
2: like the MK Ultra guy that fell out of the Pennsylvania Hotel in New York, mysterious. Mm-hmm. Save
3: that for a defenestration episode.
1: The uh, the officials claimed that uh, Kotovskaya committed suicide. But it's curious because just the day before, she has secured a court victory where she regained control of the TV channel that had been seized from her by bureaucrats, by Russian state bureaucrat. So she goes to court because the government had come in and seized her TV channel, wrested it from her grasp, took it over. She won the court case, and, and then- the court said, you can have your channel back. We're taking it back from the uh, state bureaucrats and returning it to you. And the next day- she, she celebrated by- Committing suicide
2: and jumping out of a 14-story window. There you go. Mm. I would be sad, too. I was. <laughs> and amazing, there were scratch marks on you know, in the window for her trying to stop. Falling you falling know down what? Down. Maybe? Maybe she was jumping for joy and forgot
1: the window was open. Maybe she was on the bed. And it was just a little springier than she anticipated. All these things are possibilities.
2: Next time, buy a Tempur-Pedic
1: mattress. Yeah, exactly. Go with one of those uh, dial numbers and go with, like super soft, super hard, or maybe it was a water bed and just like slingshot her right. Oh, it's like that. a slip and slide. <laughs> yeah, just whoosh right out the window.
3: A water slide bed.
1: Uh, there's another journalist named Yevgeny Gerasimenko. Was found dead in his apartment with a plastic bag over his head and uh, multiple uh, significant bruises all over his body.
3: Slipped, yeah, slipped, <laughs> slipped in the kitchen, <laughs> making a sandwich. auto erotica, maybe.
2: That's the police,
1: the, on that. the police, granted that it was foul play. Uh, <laughs> no, but they reported that there were no signs of violent entry and Gerasimenko's computer was missing. Oh well.
0: So he was attacked by video game characters that came to life. His computer, yeah, maybe maybe it's a terminator thing. His computer
1: came to life, strangled him with a with a plastic bag. Damn, you Skynet. And then walked right out the front door as if nothing happened. We're on the lookout for a fugitive computer, watch obviously. Watch out for transformers. Yeah. <laughs> watch out
0: for a 386. With VGA graphics. I mean this is Russia, right?
1: Oh, come on. He's at least a reporter. He's gotta be able to get online. Uh so that's uh, those are the, the the sort of the standout cases. But obviously with like, you know, 165 murdered reporters over the last twenty years, there's uh
2: plenty other stories to go around. I would love to know what it's like in the J schools and the universities in Russia, you know, students coming in to be journalists. How small are those programs? Oh who the fuck would want to do it? I mean it's it's a calling. For me, it's my job has been a calling. Right. Yeah. And I can understand people are calling there, but there's a point where you go. Imagine it's- how they have to market,
1: right? Imagine what they got to do. Like, it must just be like a pamphlet full of, like, naked girls I, or, so- or you <laughs> get a
2: free, you get a free new iPhone and a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You complete the program,
1: <laughs> yeah, you get an yeah, iPad. And a MacBook Pro and, Retina. And a pair of blue jeans, if I know my Russian, uh,
2: you know, pop culture stuff correctly.
3: I assume it's all just mentorships. I mean, you get a new mentor every week, though.
2: Yeah. The yeah. high <laughs> <I laughs> turnover rate of mentors. The best and part of this program is you have a rotating
0: faculty.
1: Yeah. Yeah, every, every Russian journalist hopes to get assigned to a foreign
2: desk. Yeah. <laughs> is every there, single one of them.
0: Is one of the classes how to not get assassinated 101? That's, yeah, that's the first <laughs> yeah.
2: class. Now, or keep the, no plastic bags in your house. Yeah. Your windows you shut that's right
1: everything's paper bags It's transporting that wet garbage i would difficult.
0: want to become one of those guys who's decided to become like a cyborg who has a webcam on them at all times like part of their clothing and it's right. constantly streaming to the net you've so got when, nanny so when they,
1: cams all over your apartment like yeah it's like they walk in to kill you and like this guy really likes teddy bears <laughs>
2: <laughs> those little irises <laughs> But you have a point. I mean, I would almost probably do that if yeah. I was a journalist there. Just- I, I will sacrifice my
0: privacy before my life. Absolutely.
1: Well, there's a journalist actually that was assaulted Traitor. in 2010. Who uh, um, He survived the attack, but he was hit multiple times in the head with iron bars. He was attacked by three men. And the, the, the incident was caught on videotape from a security camera because out on the street uh-huh. in which two of the three men, you could clearly see their faces. No arrests, no prosecutions to date.
2: Unsolved so far. I mean, I've been stopped and harassed, but I we have a trick that was taught to me by old people. All right. people in my industry <laughs> is old people. Yeah, senior citizens in the nursing home were giving me tricks. I would buy, I used to buy really good fake Rolex watches, right? In Chinatown in New York. Okay. 20 bucks a piece, I'd buy like 10 of them. Right. Keep them in my bag. If I got stopped by a roadblock or a security personnel, ah, shit, i my watch, hand it up to them. Right. Give them as a gift. They'd be really happy. They got my fucking Rolex. They'd let me through. I'd get a couple hundred yards away, reach in my bag, put the next watch. On. Right. Right. But there are guys now who carry pockets full of used BlackBerries they buy on Craigslist. Right. Anything to try and get yourself executed. Most yourself. Of these people are really poor. Yeah. So you know something technology wise or status wise will get you out of a bind. Okay. Do they okay.
3: Ever... Yeah. Did you ever run into the same guard twice and said that Rolex you gave me was not a real <laughs> you Rolex? You hope you know. You hope you never do. Yeah.
1: But it's is a big place,
0: right? You, you know? also hope that they're not going to listen to this zoo, podcast zoo, 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 after this. Zoo, 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 zoo,
1: zoo, 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 zoo,
4: zoo zo zo It's such
2: a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful
3: feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We
4: will too caustic soda was recorded by mike Leeson while he was receiving maggot therapy to comment on episodes make a donation see show notes links and videos visit causticsodapodcast.com rate and review us on itunes visit us on facebook email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com susu susu susu